With that said, we have Matthew 15 in front of us. We have communion awaiting us. So let's dig in for the next 25 to 30 minutes to the Word of God and then share a time of communion together. Father, as we come to you today, I just pray that you settle our hearts, Lord. Settle our minds, whatever things, whatever burdens, whatever worries we've brought in here with us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to think on the things above for this time. To think on heavenly things. To think on eternal things. And that in that, our temporary cares, worries would be swallowed up by faith and hope. Lord, we are your servants. And we come submitting ourselves to you. Asking you, Lord, what do you want us to do? How can we serve you? How can we be light, salt in this world? We present ourselves as living sacrifices for your purposes, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done already in our lives, Lord. We pray that you open up your word to us so that we might see amazing things, Lord. And then you open up our heart so that we can understand them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we have a long section, but uh, so I don't know how in-depth we'll get today because I do really enjoy leaving plenty of time for our communion. So let's just see how it goes. Matthew 15, we're going to pick up in verse 21. We have closer and closer in view the cross, the uh, conflict between Jesus and the religious people of, of his day is heating up, is intensifying. He just tore the rug out from under their traditions. And uh, really, the disciples even said to him, oh, Jesus, you need to be more careful about what you say. It was really a blow and, and it's going to, things are going to begin progressing faster now toward his crucifixion. And so we read in verse 21 that Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, this is a, a non-Jewish, this is not Israel. This is a, a Gentile. Whenever I use the word Gentile, just substitute in for that non-Jewish. That's all Gentile means. It's you've got Jew and you've got Gentile. Jew or not Jew. And the Jews saw anybody that wasn't a Jew as unclean. They were a special people. They were, their, they were God's people. And anybody else was not. And so it was a distinction. And Tyre and Sidon is modern day Lebanon. Just north of Israel. About a 50 mile trip from where Jesus is now. To get to this area. If you remember back to the Old Testament. Uh, queen, wicked queen Jezebel, Ahab, the wicked king and his wife Jezebel. She was a Sidonian princess. Her father was a king of Sidon at that time. So these are, are areas, not just Gentile, but also areas, Tyre and Sidon, that were traditionally enemies of the Jews. Uh, worshipped false gods, worshipped pagan gods, Baal and, and so forth. And so this is the region he goes to. It's significant because 
is the only time we see him in his ministry go out of Israel to a Gentile area. It's the only time. So he takes this 50-mile detour to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he meets a woman there. He actually goes into a house, Mark tells us. Mark chapter 7 and 8 are the, the parallel passages to this. Mark tells us he goes there, he goes into a house there. It's quite possible that he was looking for uh, just a time to be alone with his disciples. Again, the cross is, is getting closer and closer for him. Uh, he's not able to get any rest, or there's constant conflict in Israel. And so he goes to a Gentile area, maybe to try to have some privacy with his disciples. We don't know for sure, but it doesn't happen, even if that was his motivation. People find out that he's there, his reputation has expanded throughout the the neighboring nations he goes into the house and a woman comes to find him there now he's in he's in her region she's not in israel he's in in her land she comes to find him a woman verse 22 says a woman of canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying have mercy on me O lord son of david my daughter is severely demon possessed so she's a canaanite woman or a, a woman from canaan And uh, if you've studied your Bible at all, you remember from the Old Testament, who were the people that God was dispossessing out of the land so the Israelites could move in? was the Canaanites. They were, again, pagan worshippers, fertility gods, fertility goddesses, uh, and all the like. So this is who she was. She was a Canaanite. She was a relative, a descendant of these people that were, again, enemies of the Jews. And she comes, why, why does she come? What's on her mind? What's her issue? It's not her own issue. It's her daughter. And it's interesting to me, the wording here, her daughter, my daughter, she says, is severely demon-possessed, as if you could be, like, minorly demon-possessed. You know, she's got it bad, whatever it is. Uh, This is a severe case of demon-possession. It's not this mom's hope when this girl was born. This is not what any parent wants for their child. This is not, you know how it is when our kids get sick, you know, it's painful to us when we see children suffer or struggle. And she has somehow acquired this demonic condition. Again, her family uh, lives in a region where, where worshiping false gods is common. And I'm sure Jesus was not this woman's first stop. I'm sure she'd been to the priests of her gods and, and, and a variety of them. No help. I'm sure she's been to the doctors of her culture. No help. I'm sure she's been to the magicians and the sorcerers and anybody. Wouldn't we? I mean, if your child is struggling, don't you go where you need to go to get help for that child? I mean, and we don't know what life was like for them. I imagine, again, thinking she was severely demon-possessed. Did they have trouble taking her in public? I mean, what were his behaviors? Was she violent? Was she loud? I worked, used to work in, um, with people that were both physically and, and um, mentally uh, handicapped or, or troubled, and I'd worked in a children's facility uh, over near Richmond, and I'd worked with this young girl who has just always stood out in my mind. <clears throat> she was about 16 years old, and she weighed all of 74, 75 pounds. She was very, very, very thin, and um, she would look right through you. When you looked at her, she would just look, it was, there was a blankness in her eyes. 
And she was very abusive to herself. She would <clears throat> just throw herself down, <clears throat> excuse me, on her knees. So they would, we would put knee pads on her to protect her. Uh, she would slam her fingers in the drawers of her, of her, uh, where her clothes were. She would just put her fingers and slam them shut. Very abusive to herself. Uh, she, she walked on her tiptoes because she didn't like her feet to touch the ground. And there was one day where she had gone into her, her bedroom and she would just have an outburst. Nobody else knew what was going on. Something in her mind would trigger and she would have a violent outburst. And I watched four guys try to restrain her. She's a 75-pound girl. And it took four grown men to restrain her. And I watched her throw a, you know how furniture is in a, in a dormitory, like the big, bulky, wooden, heavy furniture? She picked up a bed like that and just like threw it across the room. Now, I'm not saying she was demon-possessed. I don't know. Maybe she was. But those are the kind of things that, that maybe this family is experiencing or struggling with. And so she comes to Jesus with this heavy burden for her child. And look what she says to Jesus. She says, have, have mercy on me. Which means I'm acknowledging that you're in, in a place of authority, in a place of power, and I'm in a place of lowliness, and I need you to have mercy on me to regard my lowly state. And she says, oh Lord, son of David. That's an interesting term, isn't it? That's a, a Jewish title for Jesus. And she's, is she Jewish? She's not Jewish. She's a Gentile, but she uses this title for him. How did she learn that? Maybe someone said, now when you go to him, this is what his people call him. They call him son of David because David was the king of Israel, the, the very notable king. From him, the Messiah was going to come years later. That's what they expected, that from David, it was going to be a descendant of his, a great, 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 great grandson of David would be there the savior of their nation. And so many people had thought, if you just look back at chapter 12 of Matthew, a couple of pages back, verse 22 says, one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitude were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? So maybe she heard there's some connection between, you know, they're recognizing him as son of David and his ability to cast out a demon or to heal someone who's uh, in, afflicted in this way. And so <laughs> she comes to him, says, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And she thinks that's the thing she's supposed to say. It's the right wording and maybe this right wording and the right posture. These things will release for me what I need for my family. But Watch what happens, because this is still there's still a little distance here between her and it's it's like saying, uh, Mr. President, when you when, if you were to meet the president, you you would kind of you know maybe acknowledge you'd humble yourself and 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 recognize uh, his authority and his place, and you'd call him by a proper title, Mr. President. Well, look at the answer he gives or doesn't give. Verse twenty three. He answered her. Not a word. So here she is, humbling herself, trying to say the right thing, trying to be respectful of his authority and who he is. And he gives her the cold shoulder. It's sort of the silent treatment. I wonder how she, how, does, how is she feeling at this minute? I mean, here she's coming, she's late, she's, she's kind of bowed, and he 
Doesn't say a word, not a word. Well, she continues to go on and, and asking for this miracle, for this help. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. For she cries out after us. I mean, Jesus, you're not talking to her. Now she's bugging us. Can you just get rid of her? And some would indicate that, that their petition was for him to do what she wanted. Give her, give her what she wants so that she'll just go away. Isn't it sad that sometimes the disciples of Christ have that attitude about other people? Don't we get cold sometimes like that? We can become so callous because we're so used to meeting people's needs and people coming to the church because the church can be seen, you know, just as an extension of, of what the government has to offer, another place where I can go and get my needs met. And we are. We are a place where the love of God and the kindness of God is shown in very practical ways to people in need, right? The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. And oh, I want to lead a person to repentance. Oh, I want to see people repent, change their lives, change their minds, change their hearts. And so it, it's not telling them how wicked they are. That you know, if, if you meet someone and you just begin to lay into them about what evil sinners they are, all that they see is a God of condemnation. And so be careful. We have to be careful as a church because we put ourselves in a place and we want people to know we're a church that desires to help those in the community. But sometimes we get in this place of, oh, you know, not another person, not another needy. And you forget that we were that needy person one day. And they say, Lord, just get rid of her. We've got work to do. We've, I'm going my way to a prayer service. You know, can't, can't we just get, I don't have time for these interruptions, Jesus. But they, they just send her away. For she cries out after us. So he answers verse 24. And I think he, he, at their urging, he doesn't send her away, but he speaks to her, verse 24. And he says to her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It seems like he's telling her, uh, sorry, you're out of luck. I'm not here for you. You're, you're not on. I've got an agenda and you're not on it. And that seems kind of cold and harsh, doesn't it? Now, we know from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6, speaks of Israel as lost sheep. Why? Because their shepherds led them astray. And again, in verse 17 of that same chapter, uh, Jeremiah chapter 50, there's another reference made to Israel being scattered sheep. And so the, what Jesus is saying here is not, I don't have time for you, I don't have interest in you. He's saying, my first priority is my people because they are in bad shape. They are hurting. There have been some shepherding problems among my nation. And I have come. See, he's in a Gentile land, right? And so the, 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 maybe the misconception would be, oh, finally he's done with the Jews. Now he's moved on. And Jesus is saying, I'm not done with my people. But they are in trouble. And my first, pri do you have priorities in your life? Isn't that how you get, I mean, those of you that, that understand what it means to have a priority, it's the only way you can get anything accomplished. Is because you say, this is what I have to do first. And so Jesus came and even he told his disciples, look, this period, this time is a time where we are reaching out to the Jewish people. They will reject me and then the message will go further in a huge sense to the non-Jews as well. But for this time, the Jews were in his sight, his own people. And he says to the woman, my priority right now or my first, uh, uh, my first assignment is to the lost sheep of, of my people. Well, 
the thing, the, the whole discussion changes now. Verse 25. She came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. It's a whole different approach, isn't it? Her whole attitude is, has changed. Now she's not there in a formal sense looking for help in time of need. She's there now. She's become a worshiper. She's not looking for just what she can get from Jesus. She's setting herself up in a new relationship with him. And she says, Lord, which is master, owner, the one who is responsible for the care and decisions of another thing or person. To worship means to turn to, to take the hand and to kiss. And again, it speaks of that uh, when a person would bow the knee and take the hand of the of of the one that was their master and kiss the hand is signifying allegiance. She's just given herself to him. Notice what she says. She says, Lord, help who? Me. Lord, help me. She doesn't say, Lord, help my daughter. She says, Lord, help me. I am now presenting myself to you as a sacrifice. I'm, I'm giving myself to you as your servant. And you're my ma- I'm going to make you my master. You're, I'm going to be your servant. And I'm petitioning you on the level of a relationship now for help. This is not a fancy prayer, is it? This is a great prayer. This is a prayer for the... How often do you read the, the modern prayer books and see this prayer? Lord, help me. Because it's not flowery, it's not sophisticated, it's not King James-ish. It doesn't reveal a deep sense of theology. You know, Lord, I pray that you, you know, that you do this. I thank you for the redemption in the blood. And, you know, we, can, we pray these prayers that are, and they're not wrong. But this is the simple prayer of a heart submitted to Jesus Christ. And she just... She worships him. And this is, this is different. This is what people need to know. This is what you need to know this morning as we come to communion. Many, uh, we, we have contact with many people uh, from the community, various places. Uh, they don't really want to worship Jesus. They don't want to really give him their life. They just want uh, help. They just want what they need for that time. And it's an interesting situation that we have in front of us. And I think people say, well, I've tried Jesus and he didn't didn't do it for me. I, I went to church and it didn't happen as I thought. You see, you came thinking that Jesus was supposed to worship you. And that you were the one that called the shots and you were going to show up and Jesus was going to turn and kiss your hand and say, how can I help you? And it's backwards. It's opposite. You, you come to Jesus and you worship him. And it's out of that relationship that, that you have that place to say, Lord, here I am as your servant. I, I'm serving. I'm giving myself to you. And in that relationship, I'm asking for you to see what's in my life and to care for me. I thank God I have a father in heaven. I sit with people who just will not worship Jesus. They will not submit themselves to him. And how hard they work to get things met and needs met in their life and how much a struggle it is. Say, oh, if you would just submit yourself to the Lord, then you would know a Father in heaven who meets needs in a way that you would never imagine. You just can't, I can't explain it to you until you know it yourself. Those of you that know it, amen? I mean, you, you just can't explain to someone who doesn't understand. It's like Einstein explaining astrophysics to me. 
I'm just not going to get it. So the conversation's not over, but my sermon time almost is. Uh, he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, wait a second. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? I mean, certainly those of you that know the relationship between Jew and Gentile, this is how the Jews viewed the Gentiles as dogs. You know, dogs were unclean animals. They roamed the streets. They scavenged the garbage. Uh, they were dirty animals. And this is how the Jews saw the non-Jews. They were Gentile dogs. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not the reference. It's a different word in, in the Greek language. See, notice the qualifier there. It's, I don't take the children's food and give it to the little dogs. This is the word that speaks of a household pet. Again, uh, the children belong to the master. They're his children. But so do the household pets. They also belong to the master. But what Jesus is saying here is, look, when you come home from Subway and you've got, you know, five subs for your family, and you sit the kids around the table, you don't say, okay, kids, um, wait right here. I'm going to give the dogs first dibs on the subway. You know, I, I know this dog, he likes turkey. So I'm going to give that turkey sandwich to that dog and this salami to this, uh, this meatball sub over here. And then whatever the dogs don't eat, then you can have it. Would you do that? No way. But that's what Jesus is saying. It's not, listen, it wouldn't be right for me, the children being the children of Israel, to take what has, uh, where I'm supposed to go first, the priority of these children of Israel, and instead of giving it to them, to give it to what would be fed secondary. The dogs get fed second. Maybe not in your house. I don't know. Um, but the dogs get fed after the kids. And at this point, again, at any point during this conversation, she could have said, fine, I'm out of here. She could have been offended when he didn't talk to her. But she's interceding for her daughter and she's going to keep pressing forward. And, and there is, look, you can't just pray once and figure it's done. Pray, there's, a, there's an old adage, push. Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Keep praying until you have the answer from God, even if the answer is no or not right now. You pray until you know that. And so she presses forward. She's a brilliant woman. And she takes his little parable and she expands it. Verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She says, it's true, Lord. Yes, I understand what you're saying and you are correct. But you know how children eat. They're around the table and there's Cheerios in the high seat, the high chair, and there's chicken on the floor and stuff gets rejected and dejected and catapulted during mealtime. And the dogs know when it's dinner time, don't they? We have a dog named Maggie, and she puts her chin right on your lap. She is shameless. And she will put her chin right on your lap just in case, you know, you want to give her something. Some of your leftovers or some of what you're going to reject. And you know how it is when kids eat stuff, falls on the floor, and the dogs have learned to know that if they hang around the table, they get some of the leftovers or some of what's rejected or some of what's uh, not uh, use they get the seconds interesting uh i've been reading these on occasion this is levitical laws for children called uh laws of forbidden places about eating uh hang with me it's kind of funny of the beasts of the field and of the fishes of the sea and of all the foods that are acceptable in my sight you may eat but not in the living room <laughs> of the hoofed animals broiled or ground into burgers you may eat but not in the living room 
of the cereal grains of the corn and of the wheat and of the oats and of all the cereals that are of bright color and unknown provenance you may eat, but not in the living room. Of quiescently frozen dessert and of all frozen after meal treats you may eat, but absolutely not in the living room. Of the juices and other beverages, yes, even of those in sippy cups you may drink, but not in the living room, neither may you carry such therein. Indeed, you may reach the place where the living room carpet begins, and of any food or beverage there you may not eat, neither may you drink. But if you are sick and are lying down and watching something, then you may eat in the living room. (laughs) So that understands what we're trying to say is that the children are going to eat and there's going to be portions they're going to feed to the dogs of what they have that's sort of seconds or, or not taken advantage of. And that's what this woman says. She's basically saying, look, I don't have to be first i don't have to be look how humble she is i don't need to be at the head of the table i don't even need to be seen as a child of yours i'm if if i'm a doorkeeper in the house of the god of god that's enough for me if i'm just second on the list that's good enough for me because she says the crumbs which fall from their master's table i just want to be near the master's table and he says oh woman that, that's an exclamation. That's like, wow. Oh, man. Great is your faith. You've got mega faith. Mega faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Very few times you see Jesus say, comment on somebody's mega faith. Twice. Centurion, a Gentile, this woman also a Gentile. Do you keep pressing forward with the Lord? Do you humble yourself, submit yourself to him? Are you looking for top seat of the table? Are you willing when when you come to Jesus to just come humbly and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever little thing I can glean from you, that would be enough. Oh boy. Then Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind. So the lame are those paralyzed, unable to walk. The blind, unable to see. The mute, unable to talk. The maimed, interesting, those that have deformities, leg deformities, uh, uh, shorter limbs, crooked limbs, disfigured limbs. We don't see it as much here. We oftentimes deal with that stuff uh, medically. But in other countries, Africa, you, you see people all over the streets that are, that are maimed, that have disfigured limbs and, and are, are resorting to begging for their, their daily food. And, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. They continued to lay them down. Uh, some other translations, I think in the Gospel of Mark, it says they cast them at his feet. And it sounds like they're just tossing lame people at Jesus' feet. But it's a sense of urgency. It's a sense of of, uh, necessity that these people are being brought to Jesus one after the next after the next. Can you imagine the frenzy? Can you imagine the excitement as people as limbs are being straightened? And eyes, blind eyes are being opened, just the miracles that are taking place. And they glorified the God of Israel, a large Gentile crowd. Here. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. We still see miracles, and we're going to talk about that during communion. And if, if I could have the folks that are, well, no, don't come up yet. Just sit. We'll, we'll, we'll do this. Phil, you may want to 
come on up and prepare yourself um, for communion. Verse 32, now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. They'd been following Jesus for three days, listening to his teachings. Whatever rations they had were used up. And I love just, the, you know, let's come back to earth for a minute. Jesus is, is very keen and aware of people's practical physical needs, isn't he? Does, they, 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 they're, we're out of food. Uh, I don't want to send them away hungry so that they pass out on the way home. You ever been that hungry? You feel like you're going to pass out if you don't get a Twix bar or something right away? I just need a Snickers, uh, something to eat. Jesus, is, he cares about that stuff, folks. He really does. He cares about you having a job. He cares about you providing for your family. He really does. He says, look at the sparrows, you know. They don't have storehouses. They don't drive John Deere tractors. Yet the Lord provides for them day after day. He makes sure they have what they need. And so we, too, for one another, what good does it do, the Bible says, if we say to someone, hey, I'll pray for you, be warm and be healed. But if we have the means to help, we ought to use it. You don't say, well, I, I gave my tithe check at the church last week, so sorry. That's love takes us deeper. And so you say, well, you know what? I got five bucks in my pocket. I was going to use it to buy milk, but the Lord will take care of me. Here, you can have this. You know, it, it, we do it, don't we? I mean, we just do it. And the Lord makes sure we have what we need. So again, uh, I don't want to send them away. He didn't want to send the woman away hungry either or without what, it, what she needed. He didn't want to send these people away hungry. She was hungering for a healing for her daughter. These people are hungering for physical food. The disciples said to him, amazing statement. Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Uh, hmm, let me think. One chapter ago, you fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Hmm, where could we possibly get enough food? They're as thick as we are. God does some great miracle in our life, you know. He heals us of something or, or sets us free from that addiction, but then we lose our job. We go, oh no, what are we going to do now? It's the same God. He hasn't changed. He hasn't lost his power. He just, like your quota was one miracle. And now you used it up and you're done, you know. And they didn't get it, you know. He's still teaching them to rely on him. He's still teaching them that, well, look, how many loaves do you have? I mean, it's like deja vu. How many loaves do you have? And they said seven and, and a few little fish. They've got more now than they had last time. And yet they're still wondering, how's it going to work? How are we going to do this? And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. Very similar situation, continuing to teach the disciples, continuing to teach you and I that we are not the source, we are the distributors. We are not the determiners of truth, we are the distributors of truth. We are not the, the originators of power or healing or ministry. We simply give out what God gives to us. And unless you know that, you will burn out, I guarantee it, because the needs are overwhelming. The needs in your neighborhood, the needs in your, on your faculty, the needs in your family are overwhelming, and you can't do it all. Especially if you're not being filled up by Christ. 
And that he he comes, he's feeding you this morning, isn't he? From his word. And you can take, well, last week we studied, uh, or excuse me, Wednesday we were in Daniel 4. I sat at the soup kitchen ministering on Friday to a guy and just giving out what the Lord had given me that, that Wednesday night in Bible study. Just saying, hey, that's nothing fresh, nothing new. I'm just giving you what the Lord showed me. And just, you'll have opportunity to take what you've learned today. Somewhere in your life, there, there's a, a, a woman who's got a daughter who's demon possessed or whatever it is that's similar to that. Whatever issue it is. And you can teach her about what you've learned today. So they all ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. A different kind of basket, a Gentile basket, a very large like a laundry basket. Uh, This is a Gentile crowd this time. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away, now he sends away the multitude. He got into the boat and came to the region of Magdala. I think that was a, a record for me right there going through that. Um, but it's important. I wanted to go through it because there's three things that I want you to notice as we come to, to communion together. And I'm going to give you all a time for prayer. You know, so often we come in and we're afraid uh, to be courageous like this woman with the daughter. You know, well, yeah, I got some issues in my family, but I don't really want anybody to know. Because I have to make sure people think I'm a certain way. And, you know, there comes a time just to put aside pretenses, to put aside the formality of uh, Jesus, uh, son of David, you know, I need help. Uh, just to put all that aside. And it's just seeking the Lord for who he is. Not for what he can do for you or what he can give you. Just seeking him for who he is. Because he is a God who sets people free. Right? That's the, the Syrophoenician woman. He set her her daughter free. She interceded for her. Not only that, he heals. He is a God who heals. The maimed. The lame. And I was so lame. And he's a God who feeds. And we deal with lusts, desires, cravings. Because we're hungry people. We are hungry for attention. We're hungry for affection. We're hungry for acceptance. We're hungry. Mother Teresa said there's a hunger much greater than the hunger for bread. And it's a hunger for love. And there's a, 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 we're, a, we're lonely. And we fill, we have these lusts, these cravings that try to meet those needs in our lives. And we, so we get filled up on all these other things. And if we're already full... We come to the communion table and we say, nah, no thanks, I'm already full, not hungry. But you really are. You've just filled, you've just satisfied your appetite with other things. He's a God who sets free. He's a God who heals. And he's a God who feeds the longings. Now, um, Phil's going to lead us in just a song and prepare our hearts. I want you to think about your own life one of, of two possibilities. Number one, maybe you're someone who's been set free. And I just want you to, as we sing, as we praise the Lord, just to give God thanks for that. Maybe you're someone who has been sick physically, emotionally, and God has healed you. I mean, there's just no explanation for it. God just healed you. I know my wife would fall into that category, having been healed uh, a, a number of times by the Lord miraculously. Or maybe you're someone who's just hungry for something and you don't know what it is. 
you've tried this, you've tried that, this addiction, that addiction, manipulating people to meet your needs because you, you need affection, you need to be accepted, so you manipulate people to, to bring to you what you need. And, but it's never helped. It's not, you've not found satisfaction yet. Or maybe you some, you're someone that was like that and you found, finally, your, your hunger satisfied in Christ. That, that's where I fall into that category. For me, of these three things. So as, as Phil sings and as we pray, uh, where do you fit in? Where do you fit into that, those three things? Good, Phil. Um, oftentimes we take this time to open up the Word of God and, and share some verses with one another. Uh, this morning I would like to do something a little different. We've just spent our time in the Word of God, and so uh, we need to see that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm going to ask those of you that have experienced the Lord in, in those ways. Uh, the Bible says, I believe, therefore I spoke. And I'm going to challenge you guys, those of you that have experienced either some type of healing uh, or some type of being set free, uh, or some way that God has satisfied a hungry soul to just share it. Now, I'm going to ask you to be disciplined in this because, you know, we, we only have a few minutes to share uh, because I want to also have a time of prayer for those that are looking and thinking, how can I possibly be set free or how can I possibly uh, uh, have a healing in my life? So I'm going to ask you to share in just two or three sentences what the Lord has done for you. Again, just be a little disciplined in your speech. It doesn't take much to share your testimony. Here's what happened. Here's what I was. Here's what Jesus did. And voila, here's what I am now. So if you've got a, a brief testimony you'd like to share, just stand up and, and give glory to God in, in the congregation so that you might give hope to somebody else. Go ahead, stand up, Scott. Nice and loud. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to share a brief testimony for myself just to kind of give, uh, a, a, to show you God, God's work in another direction. I was a very lonely man. I was a very lonely, you wouldn't have known that, had a lot of friends and all that stuff, but inside of my life, there was, there were these, um, this, there was this deep loneliness that only, though I had to be with people all the time or, you know, TV on the house all the time and just had to have background noise. And that was one of the things that God has set me free from and continues to set me free from is that loneliness that was in my life. Absolutely. Uh, let's do one more. Go ahead, Lisa. Uh, oh, two more, two more. Go ahead, Lisa. You did raise your hand, right? Okay. I'll make sure I'm just not seeing things. Can you stand? Okay, good enough. Fair enough. We're with you, at least. Can you raise your voice? Good. <clears throat> Amen. And I got to watch you go through two of those three. Yep. Uh, anybody else healed from an addiction? Pornography, alcohol, drugs, etc. Barbara, real quick, do you want, had something you want to share? Amen. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, we got one more. Are you, you stood up, I saw you. You can't get out of it now. <laughs> and you've got a wonderful testimony, Tammy. Okay, well, I'm going to read. A month ago, you developed Bell's palsy. It was your right, the right side of your face was paralyzed she came tom prayed with her for the bell's palsy right side of her face paralyzed i saw her that morning coming into church uh, tom had prayed for her others had prayed for her we prayed together uh it was embarrassing if i'm right you were very self-conscious of how you looked because it's literally all the muscles were paralyzed and um, we had talked and you went into your fourth and fifth grade classroom 
So, what, so you went into the classroom. So the kid, you, you explained to the kids what was going on. Dave and Beth did. The teachers in the classroom told the kids what was happening. The kids prayed for you and continue to. And within, within two weeks, you said 100. Two weeks later, you were 100%. So three, month, three week to three month is a typical recovery. Some people never do. And um, you had full recovery in two weeks. So it was an awesome testimony to see that happen and to see that you were willing to be obedient and not hide what's going on in your life. Look, the reason we share this stuff and uh, the communion folks could come forward and, um, and get ready to, to pass out the communion elements. The reason we share this is not to build up you know, some false expectation that you know, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Look, you submit yourself to the Lord and you serve Him. And He does with you what is right and what is good. At, that, at every moment, at every way, He's a loving Father. He loves to give good gifts to His children. He truly does. And what was great to see was that you can't hide these things from the kids, you can't hide these things from the congregation. How many of you with Bell's palsy would have even come to church? Because um, I can't go. We don't come because we're having a bad hair day. You know, if that was true, I'd never come. I'm always having a bad hair day. But you know, you just forget about yourself. And she comes and she shares, not knowing what the Lord was going to do. She could have had Bell's palsy the rest of her life and would have said, you know, this is what the Lord has chosen for me. But that's not what the Lord chose for her. And to let the kids, the fourth and fifth graders watched, saw her with this, this issue and saw her healed as a result of and directly related to their prayers. You tell me that doesn't help build faith in children. So what I'm saying, moms and dads, folks that are in here, teenagers, these are not just a, cr- a crutch for us. This is not just a crutch um, And you guys can go ahead and begin handing out the elements. Uh, This is real life. This is not just something that has no relevance to, you know, our daily life. It has every relevance to your everyday life. A relationship with God has everything to do with everything you do every day of your life. It's not compartmentalized to Sunday mornings. So as the elements are coming around, I want you to be reminded that... uh, that this is more than just a symbolic meal. That God is offering, for those of you that don't know Him, He's offering Himself to you. This is His body and His blood. It's His life. And so the very God of the universe in human flesh is offering to you this morning not a healing because you could, still, you could be healed and still die and, he, and go to uh, hell for eternity. He's offering you better than a healing, better than a job, better than freedom from addiction. He's offering you himself. And in that, you get everything else. And for those of you that, are, that it's coming around and you already know Christ, praise the Lord, he has given you himself. He has given himself to you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Now, as the elements are coming around, Phil's going to play a song. And here's what I want to happen. Um, If you, I'm going to ask you to be daring again. Because there comes a time in your life where you just have to say, you know what, I don't care what people think, I'm hurting. Or I'm addicted. Or I'm a mess. My thoughts are a mess. My life is a mess. And I just need to be freed.
I just need to be satisfied. I need to stop searching. And, and there comes a time where it doesn't matter what other people think. You just have to say, this is where I am. And so you've seen the testimony of just a, a, a number of people. And I want you to know that the same is available to you. So as Phil plays, if you have a need of prayer, you don't even have to say what it is. Just stand where you are. Just stand where you are. And those uh, around you uh, will pray for you. If you're not comfortable praying for somebody, then just stay where, just remain seated. But if you are desperate, if you are coming hungry today, then please stand and, and deal with this between you and the Lord. Before Phil sings the, uh, another verse of that song, we have uh, Mary, go ahead. You guys can pray just right where you are. Um, just the two of you can pray together. Anybody else who would like to pray over there for Linda um, can do so. Uh, think about the woman with the daughter who was um, uh, demon-possessed, dealing with uh, wickedness, evil in her life. Maybe for some of you it's a prodigal child. It's a child who you're worried about, uh, a child who is walking the wrong direction. And I'm going to ask you to stand on behalf of that child, that son, that daughter who is walking away from the Lord or struggling in their relationship with the Lord. Or maybe for you guys over here, it's friends. It's people that you go to school with. And you can intercede for them just like that woman did. So as Phil's going to sing again. And if that's you and, and a daughter, a friend, a, a son, just stand and, and receive prayer for them. You can just tell the people uh, who are around you. Uh, don't, be, don't be shy. Folks are, that are right there, you can pray with Darlene. And um, folks around Barbara, pray with her. Ask her what she needs prayer for, who it is. And then just begin to pray with one another. It's okay. It's okay. One more opportunity, there are some, some standing and praying right now or, or waiting to receive prayer. One more opportunity uh, this morning. You know, sometimes once you leave this place right now, that, that pounding is in your heart. You know you need to be set free. You know there's an addiction or an issue in your life. And if you don't confess it now, you leave this place and, and, and you can be hardened. Once you turn away from that, once you turn away from that opportunity, it can cause your heart to become more hard. So I'm urging you, if that's something that's brewing inside of your soul and you know you need to deal with this, then uh, please stand and receive prayer. The person that, uh, or the people around you that come to pray for you will just briefly ask something we can pray for you about. Um, and you can just say, I need to be set free or something simple. You don't have to really reveal your whole hand. Just respond to the Lord. Stand. Everybody joining those that are already standing, still standing, we recognize that uh, the life of Christ was given so that we could have life. Again, that's, that's both life now and life eternal. They're inseparable. This is eternal life, to know Him. To know Him now is the beginning. Your eternal life begins the day you accept Jesus Christ. The only thing you have to do is shed this mortal body. So, Lord, we pray for those that were standing. You know their needs, Lord. Uh, we read it in your word and we trust you to be the same God, the same rescuer, the same Savior that you've been uh, from the beginning of time, Lord. And we trust that you will do what is best in our lives. We thank you for what you've done already, for setting people free, for the healings you provided, for filling up hungry souls, Lord. We thank you for what we hold in our hands, the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name. Now, don't partake just yet. We remember that the, uh, the bread is the body of Christ. And it was broken 
for you and I. And Jesus says, as often as you do this, when you partake of this bread, you remember his broken body and that if his body was broken for you, what else will he withhold from you? What other good thing will he not give you? To take eat, this is my body broken for you. In the same way he took the cup of his blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood, we know that. So again, as we see the blood of Christ, we recognize it as he gave his very life for you, individually and personally. All of you have your names tag, tags on. He gave your life, his life for you, James. He gave his life for you, Brian, and for Janet, and for Olivia. He gave his life for you. Every, whether you accept that or not, it's true. And this is, what, this is what we remember today, that he who was eternally rich became poor, so we were who were eternally poor could become rich. And he did it because of love. It's the only motivation. He did it because of love. You and I have a God who loves us unconditionally and tremendously. Isn't that a great truth? You are loved. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. As often as you partake of this, remember that he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's partake. Bill, you want to close us with a celebration song? Let's celebrate the Lord.